Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Good morning. It's nice to see all of you here and to have the kids in service with us. Um, when Noah's like, the kids are welcome to stay, I was like, well, there's no eKids today. So if you go to eKids, there won't be any teachers there, unfortunately, but we'll have it next week. But, well, I am the only staff member here today, so we are going to have some fun. <laughs> Just kidding. Not about the fun. We're going to have fun. But I'd still have fun with you guys, even if Daniel or a lead pastor were here. So get ready to get a little creative today, because uh, we are uh, going to do some arts and crafts before we dive into our scripture. And you guys are like, oh no, <laughs> she made me hold a pinwheel the other week and make a magnet that's on my fridge at Easter, and now we're going to do some arts and crafts. Yes. And you're going to enjoy it because you secretly will. Um, so we're going to use chalk pastels today, which is basically just a fancy piece of chalk that you can use inside on paper. Um, and we are going to uh, practice expressing ourselves using the, the art. And art can shape us and form us um, in ways that words can't. Um, it's a different way to learn. It's a bit unusual for a Sunday in a sanctuary um, and maybe a little bit messier, but not as messy as glitter poppers, okay? Which was only a few weeks ago. Anyway, a picture can be a helpful uh, way for us to imagine a concept or an idea, and it can make it come alive and make it more exciting and um, help us um, connect with different meanings that it's trying to convey. It can also just help us remember it better. Um, and then the process of creating can tune us into what we're doing because we're taking more time to think about it and we are using our hands and other senses. So now that I've uh, talked a little bit about that, um, on each side of the sanctuary, you'll find a table with some supplies on it. And so I'm going to ask one person, like, in a section to just go get some supplies for the group of people around you. You don't have to do, like, the whole section. But we have, like, nine boxes of chalk um, that you can share together. And um, each, each group can have that pencil box full of chalk. There's Q-tips in there, too. And um, each person will need a file folder with a piece of paper. So just look around and see if you can take care of the group of people around you, maybe. Um, there's some people trying to get a baby to fall asleep. Jason, that's not trying. He was just almost asleep, and now he's playing. So <laughs> anyways, so while some representatives go get supplies for the people around you, um, maybe if you're going to get supplies for people, let them know so that they're not confused about what's going on. So the file folder is going to be your surface because we don't want to get chalk everywhere. 
And uh, so you just put the paper on there and do your best to confine the chalk there and we'll clean it up. And there's wipes for all the groups. Um, so the chalk pastels are um, pretty fun to do. You can smudge them, uh, layer them, blend them, and that's what the Q-tip is for if you don't want to get your fingers all dirty doing that. And then once you start getting your supplies, you can get into a comfortable, comfortable position to work. And um, if you do need a table um, to do crafting, it's not easy to do on your lap or something, um, you can work at the tables that we've set up. So feel free to do that. Um, and now here's your assignment. Consider what it means to feel safe and warm and sheltered. I want you to create a picture of what you imagine being a shelter from the storm. What does it look like? What images come to mind when you are thinking about that? What makes it warm and comfortable and safe? Maybe the storm will also be in the picture. How does it compare to the shelter? So this can be like something that feels personal for you, or it could just be a general understanding of what this shelter from the storm would be like. So I'll give you a couple minutes to work on it um, without talking, and then I'll get into my sermon. And this is something you can keep working on while I'm preaching. I won't be offended if you are um, doing some coloring and artistic work while I talk, because sometimes that can really help you tune in to what's being said. So go ahead and have a couple minutes to get started on that. And raise your hand if you have any questions or anything. So. Now you guys can feel free to keep working while I preach. It's something you can keep working on. Um, and I also wanna remind everyone um, that if needed, there's also um, the focus bags and the wiggle corner if you guys need it while you're in here from eKids. Sometimes you need a little bit of space to take up and help you fidget. Today we are beginning a series on the Beatitudes. And so we will start with hearing the scripture. And if you're familiar with this passage of scripture, you'll realize I'm not reading the whole thing. That's because we're going to kind of go through it. We're in this, let's look at this fabulous graphic that I assume Pastor Daniel made. Uh, we are going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Beatitudes. That's where it starts. So you'll get to more of them next week um, and the week after that. So these are the ones that we'll be focusing on. Let's start by hearing the scripture, Matthew 5, 1 through 5. I think that'll be up there. Thanks for putting that together for me, Jeremy. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, a metaphor is a figure of speech. When you say one thing, but mean another, but it's not like true. Like, 
Baby, you're a firework. Maybe just think of your favorite song and it's a, it's a metaphor. The scripture uses metaphors a lot. Metaphors can help us understand an idea that might be a little complicated or hard to remember or just give us a new way to think about it. So here are some from the Bible that you might recognize. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the bread of life. The church is the body of Christ. You are the salt of the earth. So these are just a few examples that each attempt to impart an understanding about a topic that might be hard to explain concisely or to understand without that imagery. Like it's very helpful to have these illustrations. Now, of course, a single metaphor is not perfect and doesn't explain every detail of the idea, but it doesn't have to be. It's communicating with us an idea in a way that's easier for people to connect with and understand. Metaphors can give us hope. Our world is upside down. There are evils that affect everyone every day, but we find hope in God, right? Sometimes it's hard to imagine the goodness, though, when there is so much evil. And let's face it, if we ever like turn on the news or look at our phones or watch the TV, it just feels so hopeless, right? But a metaphor paints a picture of what hope can look like. It gives us new excitement because we can picture it when before it was hard to imagine because we were so overwhelmed by everything else. So you can see how the use of a metaphor in scripture can be incredibly important. Metaphors give strength to the ideas and help us connect to them. Like the idea of the church, we can explain it, though it might be wordy or maybe a boring and complicated dissertation, but metaphor can capture our imagination and excite us with its imagery. Like the church is a body. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares a metaphor about the church as a shelter from the storm. And it's in the parable of the house on the rock. To summarize the parable, when we follow Jesus' teachings, we are like a house built on a rock, not like a house that is built on the sand. Because when storms come, the house on the sand collapses, and the house on the rock stands firm. And maybe now you guys won't be able to get that song out of your head from Sunday school 20 years ago. 30 years ago. It feels, yeah. Got some grays if anybody wonders how old I am. <laughs> Brian Zond, in his book, Beauty Will Save the World, has a chapter in there suggesting that the church can be understood as a shelter from the storm. When the storm and chaos rage, in the world around us. The church is planted firmly in the teachings of Jesus, especially the Beatitudes, because the Beatitudes tell us about the nature of the kingdom of God. And the church, we are called to be God's people in the world, bringing God's kingdom to earth. And in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, uses the metaphor being a shelter from the storm three times. So the first time when it says that the Messiah will be a shelter from the storm. The second, God's care for people in need 
is a shelter from the storm. And the third, there will be a king whose kingdom is a shelter from the storm. And we can all kind of see how these might be talking about Jesus and the kingdom of God. Um, so these first three Beatitudes that we've read, um, they tell us, um, hold on, I lost my spot. Oh, yes. They are the very beginning of Jesus's famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes tell us about God's kingdom, and the rest of the sermon gets more specific about those ideas, ending with the parable of the house on the rock that I mentioned earlier. So what if we understood the church as a shelter from the storm? Now, of course, no metaphor is perfect. This doesn't mean we hide from problems or that we don't confront evil. It's not escapism. So let's take a look at the pictures you've been working on. Um, the shelters from the storm. Could the church be the safe place in the world where we could reflect what a right-side-up world would look like? A place of hope and comfort, a shelter from the storm that gathers together but also goes out to take that to the world. As we reflect on the idea of the church being a shelter from the storm, Let's talk more about the Beatitudes, because I think they can guide us and influence us. But first, oh, yeah. But first, what does Beatitude even mean? Um, beatus, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, is a Latin word, and that means blessed. The Beatitudes are blessings. They are Jesus's announcements about the kingdom of God, about how God is at work in our world, making things right side up. In the book that I mentioned earlier, Brian Zond calls, says, okay, Beatitudes are not platitudes, which I love. And maybe it didn't originate with him, but I think that's like a miracle of the English language that we can have that saying. Beatitudes are not platitudes. The words were like made to be used together, right? The Beatitudes are neither a collection of general truths they are not instructions on how to live, and they are not inspirational sayings. N.T. Wright describes them as announcements for people, the blessings for those who are poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for those who are meek. It's for a group of people who are usually seen to be suffering or ignored or on the edges of society but Jesus announces blessing for them because God's kingdom is near and God's kingdom is also for them. The blessings seem a little counterintuitive, maybe upside down, what you've expected. So maybe I've mentioned this show before um, in another sermon. It's called The Vicar of Dibley. Um, it's a 90s show from the BBC about a woman vicar in a small rural parish it's not as holy as you might think, um, but this line from the show makes me laugh so hard. Um, David Horton, who I think he's like the head of the church board or church council or something, he, he calls up the, the vicar, who's like the pastor in the Church of England, and he goes, 
What, what was that socialist tract you were spouting from the pulpit last week? And Geraldine, the vicar, um, says, I've got a feeling it was the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and I just laugh and laugh, um, maybe because I don't want to cry. <laughs> but um, so that just little joke illustrates how people might see this scripture, the Beatitudes, because the kingdom of God is so different from what we have come to expect. Um, because it announces blessings for people who are not viewed as blessed. It all seems upside down compared to our cultural norms, but the twist is that it's actually right side up, not upside down. The Beatitudes shock us when we don't read them as pretty little sayings or inspirational quotes that we forget as soon as we read past them. They shock us because they are opposite of what we've held true. The Beatitudes show us what the kingdom of God is like. When the church is planted firmly in the teachings of the Beatitudes, which announce the nature of God's kingdom, it really does become a shelter from the storm. It is a safe place for people who have maybe never felt safe in this upside down world. So let's go and put up the next slide um, for our first beatitude to look at, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in the scripture, we often knows, notice that those who are the very spiritual people indeed are some of the people most resistant to Jesus and what he has to teach. The apostles even were fishermen and tax collectors, not like the local spiritual leaders. And the local spiritual, spiritual leaders were like, how dare you eat with a tax collector? And then he became an apostle, right? And so these very spiritual people had to wrestle with the idea that the good news of God's love was also for the people who were not super very spiritual. God's love was for people who had been marginalized or had suffered or not perfect like they were. The kingdom of heaven was for the people who didn't go to church every single time the doors were open. The Beatitudes in Luke has this blessing worded as, blessed are you who are poor, where we don't actually read a specific sort of poverty that it is referring to. But whatever kind of poverty we have, God meets us there. And we all have some sort of need. We might like to pretend we don't, say, I have all my needs met. And some people who have all their needs met, they have a harder time. <clears throat> they have a harder time listening to Jesus because, like, oh, what do I need? But they don't really realize, oh, they still have needs. But whatever kind of poverty we have, God meets us there. Maybe we find ourselves out of resources or maybe out of hope or we just realize our own strength isn't enough. Jesus meets us in our need, whatever that need is. We don't have to put on this big show of being a very spiritual person to try to get the attention of Jesus or to prove that we're worthy. We don't earn our blessing. 
We cannot make ourselves blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of heaven because God meets you where you are. And in this way, the church is a shelter from the storm. So let's review our second beatitude for the day. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This one seems strange, right? Mourning, but comforted, it's the opposite. But remember, these are announcements, not instructions. Mourning and grief are bound to happen as we are around people in the world, which we could try to avoid, but wouldn't be healthy. Um, but we do love to try to deny grief. Denial is like a, just one of the traits of the average person these days, right? But denial can only distance us from ourselves and from others. If we ignore our grief and sadness, we just pretend to be happy when we actually aren't. We aren't experiencing comfort. We are just numbing ourselves. And in the long term, that's not helpful. When we do not tend to our own grief, we can't relate others to our going, who are going through the same thing. We, can't, we need to truly face our grief so we truly know the comfort of God and not just numbness from whatever we use to numb that pain we feel. It gives us the ability to show compassion, to have a shared pain with others so that we can relate to them. I thought this was a really powerful way to look at God's kingdom, facing grief together and knowing God's comfort from God blessing you with that, but also from the comfort of like relating to others. It's hard though, even the church in America loves to deny grief and mourning. And occasionally you find the belief in a church, particularly those influenced by um, something known as the prosperity gospel, that if you don't seem to have a perfect and happy life, what did or didn't you do to deserve that? Perhaps that's an extreme example of how the church can deny grief. But maybe you can relate to the idea of feeling like you have to be happy to prove that God is good when you're facing a hard situation. Or maybe you just want to try to hide things because it's not as not easy to talk about with others, or you feel like you're imposing on other people's times, time. Mourning is not a sign of weakness, though. It is a spiritual work because it brings the blessing of comfort from God and through the church. Lamenting is a common thing to find in scripture. The people of God lament a lot in the Old Testament. And they also receive comfort. And it's almost like the suffering and the mourning made room for that comfort. Like whatever brought that comfort felt more meaningful. <clears throat> and perhaps the church, as the church seeks to be a shelter from the storm, the church can create space for people to grieve and to mourn and lament and allow them time to um, know that comfort, the true comfort that comes from God and not becoming numb 
to it because you're in denial. And that is how we can be a shelter from the storm. So let's go to the last beatitude for the day. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The word used for meek in the original language is used three times in the Gospels, which I thought was interesting. And when you kind of see that, like, oh, it's a unique word, you kind of pay attention to where it's used. So in this scripture, it's used. And when Jesus invites the weary to come to him and find rest, and it was also used when, uh, to describe Jesus when he entered Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And that's the Palm Sunday story. Um, and that's, oh, did I miss a page? Nope, okay. So Pilate rode into Jerusalem to reside in the fortress during Passover. He rode on a war horse surrounded by soldiers. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on, for Passover on a donkey as an act of meekness. It was rejecting the dominating empire of Rome. And this again seems backwards. Um, the Roman Empire, um, or why in the Roman Empire would someone think that a nonviolent, non-domination driven person um, would inherit the earth because literally the Roman Empire was an empire because it was aggressive and ready to engage in war with anyone in their way. It dominated through violence and abuse of power. But Jesus was showing us there's strength and faith and peace and that we do not have to employ the ways of violence to feel secure in the world. And Perhaps like in, when you're reading that story, you see like, oh, the, well, the Roman Empire is still going on as Jesus is crucified. But we also see that the Roman Empire fell, but the kingdom of God endures. The meek inherit the earth. We live in this world that's like a big storm. There's hardship and loss, evil and abuse, violence and oppression and sickness Death, there are so many ways to suffer. But Jesus announces that the world as we know it is upside down. It's not right. Jesus died on the cross, defeated death by rising from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and one day will return to make everything new and right side up. And right now, God is at work starting that work of making things right side up, making everything new. The Beatitudes are great news. They are blessings for us when we are in these hard places. They aren't instructions. Hey, you, go mourn. No, they are announcements. Hey, those of you who are mourning, you will know the comfort of God. N.T. Wright's commentary relates this to the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, God's kingdom come to earth and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the work is starting. Heaven is coming to earth. And the church is to live in the present just as we would in the promised future. 
the church, I think that's an important thing. I'll say it again. The church is to live in the present just as we would in the promised future. The Beatitudes are are an announcement of what God's kingdom is like. It's a drastic change to the way the world is run. It reorders our values and calls us to include and love the people who are typically left out or on the edge or forgotten. But it's good news because God's grace is for them too. And it's good news for us because we are in those places too. God's grace is for us. And we as a church in this Sermon on the Mount are called to be a shelter in the storm, a safe place, a safe group of people for people who are on the edge and need to know that God's grace is for them. The church is a shelter from the storm. 